What's up, gangsters? We are back at it again with another episode of the Sprue Cutters Union. Sort of. <laughs> I say sort of because this is a special. This is a in-between-the-episodes episode because uh, we wanted to cover what we feel like was kind of a big story, a hot story, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that's what this is going to be all about. You may have remembered if you were listening to us several weeks ago, or maybe a month ago more, I guess. It was not long after the IPMS Nationals in San Marcos, Texas. We uh, were talking about the uh, bit of a kerfuffle that occurred because of the photo heard around the world of an armored judge who was holding uh, someone's tank above his head and shining a flashlight on it and all of the uh, brouhaha that ensued. And we uh, 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 hinted at that time that there was going to be another thing that was going to come along and really blow that out of the water in terms of seriousness. And if you stay tuned into this sort of thing, you will know that that it has in fact happened as a result of uh, some allegations by a whistleblower of at least the appearance of impropriety and shenanigans uh, in judging at said IPMS nationals. So I've been, uh, you know, hot on the trail of the story and uh, talking to all kinds of people and getting all kinds of uh, information. And we have for you an interview with said whistleblower and a little bit of post-game analysis after that uh, with my compadre Chris Meddings, who's right here in studio. Yeah, now unfortunately Tracy couldn't join us for this interview, so it's just me and Will on this one. Uh, We'll be discussing our thoughts on everything that's happened after the interview, but we thought it was really important that you hear from uh, Chris, the whistleblower first, to get all the details and all the facts of what happened. Absolutely. So without further preamble and jaw flapping, let's get right into the interview. Okay, so here we go. This is an interview that we've been working towards for a couple of weeks now. Unless you've been living under a rock and uh, completely out of tune with scale model world drama, you know that there's been some shenanigans that have taken place within the IPMS as a result of things that allegedly took place at the 2023 National Contest in San Marcos, Texas. There were some allegations of impropriety with respect to some judging in uh, one particular category. And uh, we alluded to that several weeks ago. We said, hey, this thing is coming. It's going to make uh, some of the previous uh, kerfuffles surrounding IPMS look like small potatoes. And that has, in fact, proven to be true. And one of the reasons is because the whole incident was witnessed and reported very succinctly by uh, a fellow who was there uh, as a judge. And that gentleman's name is Chris McLean, and we have Chris McLean here with us today. Welcome aboard the Union, Chris. Howdy, guys. Hi, Chris. <laughs> How's it going? You've had a kind of a busy couple of weeks. 
it has been uh, quite an experience. <laughs> yes, in fact, it has. The uh, life of a whistleblower. I'm sure it's been just, you know, unicorn farts and rainbows, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly have been relatively um, surprised. I, I expected a lot more negativity to fly my way than has. And, and there's been a lot of people who've reached out just with, oh, honestly, many of them just to check on me and say, hey, how you doing? How you holding up? You, you know, appreciate the, you taking the time and, and having the guts to do this. And so I honestly have felt pretty good about how it's gone, despite the awfulness of what it is we're having to deal with. Well, I think that's that's great, and I think that's an indicator um, that I mean, look, I'm I'm the first one to say that the majority is not necessarily right, but I think in a case like this, um, and we'll get into the details, that it's a pretty good indicator that you at least were not wrong to bring it up, and uh, we're going to step through that. But before we do. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself, um, your involvement in scale modeling, your involvement in IPMS, and what led you to be at the center of this firestorm? Yeah, so um, I have been doing modeling in one capacity or another since I was about 13 years old. Um, I got into the hobby my, my dad was a modeler um, and, and can continue to do that into adulthood. I hadn't shown a whole lot of interest in it until um, I uh, had some interaction with some of the Games Workshop, Lord of the Rings battle game, that some, you know, that Warhammer kind of stuff, but Lord of the Rings specific that they released around the time that those movies started coming out. And that was my entry point through miniatures there. And then uh, over time grew more into the hobby. And so I, I, I started that when I was about 13 years old and um, certainly my output declined at different points and there were probably years there where I didn't do anything, but I never really considered myself to have to have left the hobby. Uh, but I got back into it in a much more serious way in around 2018 uh, and have been much more active um, socially and online since then, especially with the advent of podcasts. Um, I joined IPMS in 2020 and have attended the national convention um, the last three years in that capacity um, and have involved in a couple of, uh, of local clubs here in Texas. Okay. And how much experience do you have uh, attending IPMS contests and being a judge? Yeah. So I was going to local contests, you know, back when I was in probably middle school, high school, certainly in high school, um, attending local contests. Wasn't doing any judging at that point um, and was really only attending probably one or two contests a year. I lived out in a pretty far away in a rural area, so there weren't many that were that were within easy driving distance for me. Um, I have been going to the national contest uh, for IPMS the last three years and and in the last three years have been pretty active in the local contest circuit uh, around around Texas, or at least as much as I can be uh, with, a, with a busy schedule and working on the weekends myself. Um, 
I have been judging through that time. I, you know, pretty well any contest that I go to uh, or that I've been to in the last about three years, I have volunteered to judge. And so um, this year was my third time judging at the national level, but I haven't kept track. I've judged at a bunch of different times uh, at local contests, including at uh, a couple of local AMPS contests and uh, another one or two that are not affiliated with IPMS. So would you say you've judged in as many as a dozen IPMS contests at this point, including a couple of nationals? Um, I don't know. Somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe, okay. yeah. But you're definitely not a beginner at that. Um, you're, you're definitely not, uh, you know, it's definitely not your first rodeo, right? No, no. Um, and I, frankly, if I'm, I think I'm pretty good at judging and looking for those things. I, I, the training that I received in judging through IPMS, I, I received from, from fairly respected people, um, who were in that part of the hobby and, um, and have, have seems that my, my experience on the local level has been helpful to those. Uh, who I've judged there. I'm I, I'm not uh, some world class modeler, but I'm a I'm decent at it. I've won awards um, at all the levels that I've participated. Um, not that I'm again to my own horn there, but um, but I I can I can see a seam line or uh, bad paint or crummy weathering uh, just like anybody else can. I think it's worth pointing out there that um, something that IPMS says about its judging and the reason it uses the system it does is because they say that it it uh, relies on identifying things which any modeler could spot. So the, the system is set up to allow any modeler with a certain amount of experience. You don't have to be an expert to judge models, right? I think that's the, the certainly the theory. I mean, so much of the focus around IPMS judging, if you look at their own documents about their contest manual and and those kind of things, is is focusing on the basic things that, while judging is always subjective, to be as objective as you can be in identifying, um, you know, flaws and then things that are done really well on the other side. Okay, so I was going to ask you this uh, a little bit later, but since it's come up and Chris just brought that up, you mentioned training. So can you just briefly describe what sort of uh, training you've had to be an IPMS contest judge, both formally and uh, informally? Yeah, so it depends on what level you're at. When it comes to a local show, there's a general call out for judges, and there's usually some kind of a judges meeting that will then describe kind of here's what we're looking for, do this, don't do that. Um, things like, for example, whether using a flashlight or a pin light is okay in this contest. Uh, typically, they'll tell you don't use anything to magnify, don't use your camera to, to on your phone to blow something up and try and look real close or some of those kind of basic things. Um, yeah, I mean, whether you can move models around or what you're supposed to do, um, procedure-wise kind of stuff. Usually not a lot of training necessarily what to look for, but you'll sometimes get, you know, some information about how to uh, to weigh entries against one another. At the national level, there's uh, typically a seminar that's held um, during the, uh, the, the convention that's kind of what judges look for. Uh, and then there's a judges meeting that takes place um, before judging, which I've I've been in at least a time or two. Um, and then whenever uh, this year, you know, and I think probably in past years, I'm trying to remember, once you kind of get out of the general judges meeting, you go into 
the, the contest room and usually gather with the class. So in this case, uh, this year was the space and sci-fi. Uh, previous years I've done other, other classes, uh, judged other classes. You'll then have some discussion about what's specific to that class and instructions that they want you to follow. Um, so that's kind of general information, but but IPMS on the national level takes kind of a an experience-based, on-the-job training uh, type of approach to uh, preparing judges. So you uh, have your first year that you judge at IPMS uh, at the national level. You're an OJT, on-the-job trainee, uh, usually attached with some more senior judges. Um, ideally, I think is the fourth of a three-person team uh, where you can speak into the discussions, but you're really there to listen and you don't necessarily have a vote. It's kind of the theory. Now, in practice, when I did that in Las Vegas, um, I was was one of the ones who was involved very much so in, in every decision that was made. They really incorporated me in there, appreciated that, and, um, and it helped, also helped me to learn a lot. But as you're looking at these individual models with uh, with these other judges, they're pointing out, look at this, notice this, and you start to get a feel for, um, and you and your eyes get trained to to see the different uh, different things they want to identify, and you learn more about what the rules are when you look at each individual category. And of course, this varies, you know, widely. When I was judging in Las Vegas, uh, I judged uh, miscellaneous and dioramas, and so everything from group builds to like literal like three-dimensional puzzles uh to incredible you know diorama work and all of which have somewhat different criteria you know when you're judging dioramas you've got to look at the story and that kind of thing um when i judged figures i found obviously you know construction plays a little bit of a different role in judging of figures though it's there uh, but you become much more focused on finish and some of those kinds of things um judging uh, sci-fi this year we were told in the uh, the sci-fi judges meeting to pay particular attention to uh, the scope of effort or so scope of work um, that goes into some of these entries because you'll have somebody who's done uh, a complete scratch build of some ginormous spaceship uh, right next to uh, you know a Bandai you know kit that that falls together um, incredibly easily without even using glue, and so you have to take into consideration some of those kind of things. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. At what point did scope of effort come or scope of work? Was it first mentioned to you? So that came in the space and sci-fi judges sort of roundup before we were broken into our judging teams. Uh, after the regular judges meeting, the big group meeting let out, we went to our different class areas. So the space and sci-fi judges all kind of huddled up. And that's where we were told, hey, make sure you take this into consideration. It was emphasized there this year. And I was surprised by it, pleasantly surprised by that, because scope of effort's not been really talked about in other IPMS contexts that I've been in for, as far but as it judging. It wasn't mentioned in the briefing or, or any training you've had previously? Um, you know, I honestly don't remember. And this year, uh, some will be surprised to know this is real scandalous what I'm about to tell you. I actually did not attend the big judges meeting in San Marcos <laughs> this year. I was eating pizza with some other people at the time. You are moment. a hoodlum and a scoffer. Yeah. How dare you? Um, I, so I've attended that in previous years, and I don't recall um, whether we specifically talked about that in um, in the other training that I received. Well, I I have been a judge now twice, and uh, my last time was in Omaha at the Nationals there. 
And because I attended that judges meeting, I can tell you what happened at this year's judges meeting, even though I also did not attend that. Um, because it's basically the equivalent, I think I made the analogy of getting all the NF, all the referees for an NFL game together and telling them which uniform to wear, how many whistles they need to take, how to tie the whistle to their hand, and how to get to the floor of the playing field. There's nothing in there at all about actual judging. Like, you need to pay attention to uh, wheel alignment and this much is okay and this much is not okay. Uh, These are the kinds of things that we look for with decals. Here's some pictures of good decals and some pictures of bad decals. I've never seen anything like that as a sort of a formalized training program in my short judging experience. Have you? So I think there is some of that kind of material in the what judges look for seminar that is separate from that big judges meeting at Nats. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I don't think that in the big judges meeting, I think they're much more focused on procedure and making sure everybody knows how they're supposed to go about doing the job. And it's also been my experience that once you go to that second meeting where you're actually out there on the contest floor and you get together with your with the head judge for your category, uh, that that they may say some things of their own. Uh, they may sort of insert their own philosophy on uh, on the process of, of what to look for, correct? Yeah, so that's where the scope of effort thing came in, um, okay. where that was emphasized in the, in the class level. Now, I mean, this also, you know, unless we think that's nefarious in and of itself, you know, when I was judging um, miscellaneous and dioramas, you know, we weren't, I don't recall if there was anything specific that was said to us there. But once we got to the diorama section, my, my team leader, you know, explains, well, we got to look at story. And that's half of what we consider. We, we make our first cut not based on construction or anything else, but based on is there a story that this piece is telling or not. Um, and when I was doing figures, you know, there was a, Uh, a handout given to us that was kind of a guide of here's the order that you consider construction and, um, you know, paint finish and, you know, various uh, details and and those kind of things. There was a a strategy that was given in that kind of a context. And so I considered scope of effort to be the equivalent of that in the space and sci-fi area. Okay. So they mentioned that it was important, but did they give you any parameters? Um, Did they define what you know, constitutes good scope of effort, noteworthy scope of effort? How do you ascertain the scope of effort? Or did they basically just say, oh, this is important. You should pay attention to it. More of the latter, just to give that consideration without really telling us how that should weigh against any other criteria we were using for judging. What made you decide you wanted to be involved in judging? Well, part of it is uh, I'm a, you know, I'm a volunteering kind of guy. And in some cases, there's not really a whole lot else to do. Um, And, and I, I also have been told that, uh, you know, judging is how you uh, become a better modeler. It it helps you. And and I have found to some degree, yeah, it's trained my eye to see uh, maybe, you know, defects in particular, you know, given the IPMS focus on on construction flaws and, and that kind of thing, it's given me a keener eye to see those things. And so I can say there was some helpfulness to that, but 
Um, part of it's also been because the the friend group that I have run in, uh, we all volunteer to judge, and uh, and it's been frankly uh, judging being a part of a judging team. Uh, I've made friends uh, every year that I've done that. Um, it's it's regular for me at contests now, even on the local level. Whoever I spend, you know, you spend the, I mean at least a couple hours, several hours at Nats, judging with some people. You get to know them a little bit, and you have a you know, you have the start of a friendship there. And so it's, it's part of the social environment for me in some ways as well. Absolutely. Well, you are a kind of a volunteering kind of guy. So I'm going to add one of my own little anecdotes here um, and why I know that. You and I have met a couple of times in person at, at these shows. And one thing that I noticed about you is that there is a meeting uh, typically held, I think it's on Saturday morning. That is uh, an eat like it's an open uh, meeting for members to go to, uh, where the e board and or the NCC take questions, comments, suggestions. Correct? Yeah. Two different. And, each of those groups has a meeting. Yeah. Right. And you have been in attendance at those meetings, which are typically attended by like five people because. <laughs> Everybody's off doing their own thing. Nobody gives a shit. They'd rather have fun. But you have been at those meetings. I've seen you. I went to one of them myself, and um, and so I, you know, I I believe that you are in fact a volunteering kind of guy who is really interested in understanding how things work. Yeah. Well, you know, we're talking about volunteer organizations here for the most part, and so. Uh, and if you want to see something succeed and do well, then you have to give attention to those kind of things. And if you want something, an organization like that to improve, then you got to be willing to invest some time into it. And so, yeah, I try to participate in the processes just like I'm a good citizen and try to cast a vote, you know, when there's an election in whatever context, you know. Absolutely. And tell everybody in listener land what it is you do in real life, Mr. McLean. What is your day job? I'm the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Bandera, Texas. So uh, relatively, uh, I don't, it depends on what your consideration of small is, but relatively small local church, um, small town uh, pastor guy. And so I preach and I do pastoral care and hospital visits, talk to people about what's going on in their lives and um, try to do good in the world. You obviously just a very selfish guy who wants. To yeah, that that's burn, right? yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Clearly, we've got a picture here of just a real rabble rouser and hoodlum. So let's get to the meat of the scandal. What I'd like to do is uh, kind of take you back to the night in question and get you to walk us like a, through. A lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be as yeah, I'm trying to be as professional as possible and clearly I'm failing miserably, but yeah, we'll just do our best. Um everybody knows we don't script this shit, so it's just going to be what it's going to be. But Chris, you wrote a very detailed report. In fact, Others have commented as well that this thing is about as clearly written uh, a set, uh, you know, uh, a set of observations, and I think about as neutrally written as anything I've ever seen. But uh, and and we're not going to read through every single bit of it. We're going to include in the show notes a link where people can go read your report for themselves, uh, as if there's anybody who hasn't at this point, uh, because you also have a blog. So real quick, tell us what your blog is. 
Uh, yeah, it's chrisnscale.wordpress.com. Uh, there's like four posts up there. I'm no big deal, but that was the easiest place to put this out in a way that would make it readable. A lot better than just posting a PDF. So that's For where sure. it went. For sure. So we'll let everybody read that on their own. But now, kind of in your own words, um, if you could just kind of start walking us through the series of events that led to that letter. Yeah. So um, I wanted to judge uh, sci-fi this year in general. Um, like I said earlier, I, I judged miscellaneous and dioramas. I wanted to judge dioramas the first year I was there. I wanted to judge figures uh, last year. And this year I thought, well, let's do, let's do sci-fi. That's a something that I enjoy um, looking into and, and uh, something I, it's a, a class that I have interest in and that do some modeling in. And so um, especially with uh, with working on a Mark 44 Machining Krieger kit this year um, that I did not get done in time for Nats, I wanted to uh, to to judge in, in a class that I'd get a sense of how that how that went. And so uh, all that to say, when uh, when the sci-fi judges were getting together, uh, they broke us up, uh, breaking up into teams, and I wasn't necessarily assigned. I asked the uh, the chief space and sci-fi judge um, if uh, you know, if I could join the judging team that had been assigned the category that was doing these machine Krieger kind of kits. Um, they had broken, I guess, at two different categories: one that was more Gundam oriented, and one that was more broadly mecha and so that mecha category is what i asked to, to be a part of and that's the one i got assigned to um because i guess they just didn't have a whole lot of uh, judging team leaders selected there were like eight of us who were assigned to judge on that team uh and we uh so we ended up getting broken up into two um and uh, and so we we kind of headed out to judge how many people were there judging on that team? Yeah, so the original team had like eight people. What we ended up doing was breaking that in half. And um, four of them went to go judge the Gundam category and four of us stayed uh, to do the uh, Mecha category. So, um, yeah, so there were four of us. So was it one category that was that had a split, basically? Well, it wasn't a split. This These were separate categories. Um, but I think the issue was that they didn't have enough team leaders assigned uh, in sci-fi. They were not probably anticipating as many judges to show up as actually did. And so that's why the team ended up being so big and it, they was just sort of divide and conquer rather than one team having to go through and judge two categories. You know, you know that team split in half and so each one only had to do one. And the two teams, was that four full judges or did you have an OJT on each team? Um, I think the other team had an OJT, but our team did not. I don't think that we had an OJT. Okay, and I want to make sure that we kind of set up the cast of characters here because it's going to get hard to keep track of. Who was the head judge on your team, or the lead the lead judge on your team, rather? So, of the in the the eight person team uh, was Khalees Saloum, I think is how you pronounce his name. Cal is, I think, a lot of what a lot of people call him, um, just for short. Uh, he was the original team leader for that eight-person team. When we broke into two, uh, he went with the other team because I understand that he had uh, an entry in the mecha category himself. So obviously, he wasn't going to be able to be one of the primary judges for that uh, that category anyway. So my team included uh, a guy named Dana Smith, who is a 
apparently a longtime senior, relatively senior IPMS judge. He became our team leader um, okay. for, for the purposes of that single category. And then uh, Richard Robeson, uh, another guy that I met that evening, and Brandon Booth was, uh, was the, the third besides myself. Okay. All right. And feel free to use names as we go through this because it's all out there and there's no reason to conceal any of it at this point. So um, I also want to add another character and that's a fellow by the name of Manny Gooch, correct? Uh, hopefully I said that right. Apologies if I didn't, but he is the head sci-fi judge, correct? Yes, yeah, space and sci-fi are together with one class in IPMS, and and he was uh, this was his last year serving as the uh, the chief space and sci-fi judge. Okay, he was retiring and moving on, and as the head sci-fi judge, he is also or was also a member of the NCC, the National Competition Committee. Correct. Right. So the the NCC is composed of all of those class uh, head judges as well as the chief judge overall. Okay. All right. And he was slated to be replaced by a fellow by the name of Jay Andry, correct? Yeah. My understanding of how that works is that uh, within the NCC, when somebody is going to step out of that role for whatever reason, then um, I don't know if it's a coordinated effort or if they just select their own replacements by individual uh, class judge, but they submit a name that goes then before the executive board and is confirmed by them to serve on that um, thing, on that uh, NCC, on that committee. And so uh, Jay was identified to us at the, uh, the Space and Sci-Fi judges meeting, you know, kind of after that big one, before we started actually judging the categories. He was identified as, uh, as being the guy who was slated to take uh, Manny's place next year and therefore was kind of functioning as an assistant and floating around uh, the different judging teams. During okay, the so, at, so at that point, Mr. Andrew was was indicated to you, you knew who he was. You knew what he looked like at that point. Yeah, I, I knew his face from just seeing him there. I'd never met him before or most okay. of these other people. Okay, so now that we've kind of laid out this cast of characters that are about to be involved in the story, uh, please continue. Yeah, so uh, like I said, there were the four of us who uh, – went over to begin judging uh, the mecha category. Uh, we had a discussion since uh, Cal wasn't with us, who was going to be the, the leader of this judging team and how to help us organize the process. And uh, Dana Smith indicated that he had previously built a model um, that was a, a mecha type of model. And since nobody else uh, on the team had any uh, experience building anything that would uh, that would go into that category, uh, we went ahead and asked him to to take you know made sense for him to be the leader of that. The only other person, in fact, there who had any experience with with those models at all um, in terms of hands on experience is myself. And like I said, I'm I'm in progress on one. I haven't actually finished it yet. So uh, he he had been a judge for years and years in the past. It just made sense for him to do that. So we started judging. Uh, the first thing you do when you start judging is identify how many entries are in the category. We had 21 entries. Uh, it turns out that there were two entrants who had put uh, two entries in there. So um, in IPMS on the national level, they don't allow sweeps. So the first thing you have to do when you judge is 
identify who has multiple entries in the same category and then pick which one of those is their best that will be one considered. So, Okay, and we, what, is the, what is the written rule for how that's done? Um, I mean, I think, I, I don't know if there's something specific you're, you're thinking about here, but my, I, I, I already know the answer. I think that there is not a specific written rule for how that's done. I'm looking for you to confirm that because I know you know the book pretty well. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if I know the book backwards and forwards, but I, I'm familiar with the judging process. I, the way that, that I have handled it when I've run into that at, at different contests has been to just, you basically, you conduct a, a miniature contest for the entries of that particular person. So in this case, we looked at them side by side and said, which one of these is the better of the two by IPMS standards? And that's the one that was then put into consideration along with the other entries in the category. But that is not a documented process. There's not a rule written for that, correct? That's just kind of your yeah. kind of your call. Okay. All right. And, and just to backtrack real quickly, uh, for anybody that's not familiar, what we're specifically talking about with these entries, because all of the entries that are involved in this story all come from the Machine and Krieger universe, um, the Ammo Knight, the Fireball, the the Raccoon. They're armored fighting suits, basically, if anybody wants to go look at those and what they look like, correct? Yes, and some other stuff. So we had, in this same category, we had like a couple of kitbashed Gundam kind of things, a couple of Warhammer kind of things. Um, we had some of the Machine and Krieger uh, walkers as well as the suits like the camel there were some of those types of things that were in there uh, there was even a uh, you know those metal earth like all photo etch models there was a giant like terminator uh, that was all photo etch that was in this same category so it was just any kind of mecha sort of suit thing I think was what the intent that was not a Gundam or a, you know. Right. But you, but specifically for the top three or four that are really into under discussion here, they were all from that machine and Krieger lineup. And you said that you were, you're in the process of building one, correct? Yes. Yeah. They, the ones that were, we talked about there where, yeah, we're all machining Krieger kids. In different right. So you're not, this is not like you just walking in cold. You've never seen one of these kits before and have no idea how it goes together or what, you know, what it's supposed to look like. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got some limited experience um, with, uh, with one of the one twentieth scale okay. uh, Mark 44 variants. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure that people kind of understood the context there. So go ahead. Sure. Sure. So, you know, Obviously, we had a pretty wide variety of subjects that we were dealing with. Um, what we were told to do by, um, I believe this was by Cal, by that original team leader when it was an eight-person team, he said to to keep track as we go through judging uh, of what are our top three um, models in each in the category. So he called this a, a brute force method of judging, which is not something I had experienced anywhere else. And I don't know how common this is, but basically the idea is you, you have tokens. I think a lot of times they'll use like, you know, different colored poker chips or whatever that you basically set those in front of whatever your one, two, and three is. And then as you judge each additional model, you say, is it any better than one of our top one, two, three? And then by the time that you get done looking at each individual model in depth, you already know what your top three are because you've been keeping track of that all along. And so that was the strategy we were told to employ and that we did. So we started with 
uh, eliminating those multiple entry ones. Those became our, our top two. And then we just started working from one end of the table all the way down to the other. Uh, and we're fairly meticulous in, uh, in looking at the, the kits and uh, all different aspects. In fact, we went through those models a lot more slowly than is probably typical in an IPMS contest. Um, and at times it felt like we were just going too slow to me. I was trying to kind of keep us moving along. Once we identified, hey, there's several things that are wrong with this kit. It's not going to be in our top three. Let's move on. We don't have to look at every single detail. And, um, but uh, we were, you know, uh, uh, Dana Smith, our, our team leader, he wanted us to, to stay on task and make sure we gave everyone the, the full consideration, um, even with that in mind, which was fine. It just took longer. Okay, so you get to the end of that process, and you have uh, you've selected your top three, correct? Oh, we had, yeah. And what happened at that point? So uh, at that point, we uh, before we filled out the judging sheet, uh, Dana went to go get Cal, who had been again the original kind of team leader, and asked him, you know, how do we, how do you want us to proceed here? There was some question as to kind of what capacity he served in, because obviously he wasn't one of the primary judges for the category. But in my mind, within IPMS, Nats judging kind of they have a somebody who they functions as a check judge, kind of looks over what a judging team is selected, make sure their paperwork's filled out right, that kind of thing, and then is the, the liaison to get that to um, to the uh, the class judge, the head class judge. So Cal came, came over to take a look at what we had selected, and um, he asked us to go back through and, um, and share what we had identified on each of the 21 models we had just spent however long judging. Um, now, at this point, did you have any idea who the owners of your top three models were? No, I didn't know who had done any of the models. It turns out I know a few of the people who were entered in that category, uh, and there are, of course, others that I'm aware of now, but I didn't know who had done anything in there. I was, okay. I mean, I was truly judging blind. Okay, um, but for some reason, did, did Cal give you any reason why he thought your original one, two, three placement needed to be reevaluated. Yeah. So he, he uh, asked us specifically, you know, why we had not chosen to award um, this big uh, SAFS super armor fighting, fighting suit. It's a big one sixth scale model um, stood just towered over the rest of the table. He asked us why we had not, uh, or what we had found wrong with that, why it wasn't in our top three. And we, tried to explain that as clearly as we could. And he continued to, to kind of press us on that front. Um, and, and what was your rationale for, and just to, so to, again, to help, help everybody who's not familiar, the normal scale for these little armored fighting suits in the machine and Krieger universe is one twentieth, And this one sixth scale is an older kit made by Nito. Um, and uh, whereas the newer ones are made by Hasegawa, correct? Yeah, and then there's also some 135th scale ones by different manufacturers, right. and we had some of those in the mix on this too. Okay, okay, but we're the okay. So, but this large one, this 16th scale one, you had not placed in your top four, and you were getting some questioning from Cal, who was not clearly indicated as either your team lead or as a check judge 
as to why you had not included it in the top three, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what sort of formal authority he would have in this, but he was functioning kind of like a check judge and, and also sort of like a, a team leader who'd been absent and we were catching him up on, on the discussion we had. Is it within the remit of a check judge to uh, encourage you to change a result? Or are they there to make sure that you follow procedure? So that is something that I'm not sure about. I don't know if there's written rules for how check judges work. And I think there's a, from some of the commentary online in the wake of this, it sounds like it has varied some depending on what class you're in. In some cases, the check judge, literally all they're doing is making sure you fill out the paperwork properly on the, on the judging form that goes in. In other cases, um, those check judges do have a role in making sure that the selections of the judging team are reasonable selections for the, the top prizes. And that reflects kind of what I've picked up from talking to my various sources as I've been investigating this story, is that there isn't a, again, there is not a documented procedure within IPMS contest rules uh, for um, identifying a check judge what the check judge's authority is, and how he would exercise that authority in the case of a discrepancy. Right, right. And so in this case, you know, he was pushing us to say, well, what's going on with this one? Why would you not? Which I didn't particularly mind him asking, but he seemed to be a little bit insistent that it should be given more consideration. And and to me, I mean, this the kind of the feeling that I got from that was, is this just because it's really big? Uh, because there is sometimes the case in IPMS contests where the biggest model on the table gets awarded just because it's got the wow factor of size. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we identified um, several either construction or finishing flaws in it. Okay, so let me, I, I, I hate to interject, but we're going to include some pictures of these things in our show uh, in our, in our, you know, our, on the page. So people will be able to go and look at photos of the models in question themselves. But I would like to know what your response was when you uh, were quizzed about why you did not include this particular model in the top three. Yeah. So it was to point to these different construction and finishing flaws. Specifically also, though, what were okay, those so, flaws? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the flaws were that uh, there there's an antenna on the top of this thing, and there looked to be a shiny, maybe a glue mark around the base of that antenna. Uh, the big oval front hatch on this uh, didn't sit flush. It was inconsistent from one side, looking at one side versus the other side. Um, there was uh, was also um, a little vent piece that was on like the butt of this model. It's a suit. So kind of in that area. looks that, kind of like uh, an exhaust pipe. Yeah. Something like that. And it, that part wasn't sitting flush to the model. I mean, you could see almost like a little gap there where it just needed a little extra glue or filler or something. Um, and then the, uh, the hip joint where the, the legs um, attach uh, above where the legs attach, you could see a, a wider gap on like, the left-hand side versus the right-hand side. Um, and then beyond that, you know, the, 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 
the paint job on this thing was fine. It, it wasn't anything fancy to write home about it, just a pretty consistent single color paint job. Um, but the the weathering on it was, to my mind, pretty pretty odd and not not convincing really at all. Uh, I'm there were a spade a spade. I've seen the photos. I think it was quite poor the weathering on it. Don't want to put words in your mouth. But... Well, yeah, okay, no, okay. I mean that was my read on it. The there, I couldn't tell what was rust and what was mud. There you go. Right. And I, I've looked at it as well, and I said we weren't going to editorialize, but this is the point where we can, I think, and should. I've looked at it, and and you know, and I've built uh, exactly one of these kits in question. It was the one twentieth scale uh, ammo night, or maybe it was the raccoon. It's been a it's been a minute, but um, so I have a basic understanding of these kits. And um, when I look at the photos, I would say pretty much what Chris has said. I noticed those flaws. There was also kind of a scratch or a gouge in the paint on one of the uh, armor plates that hangs down from the from his from his waist. But the real thing that stood out to me was that the weathering, like you said, you can't tell what's mud, you can't tell what's rust. And the way that it's applied is sort of very haphazard. Like there's not any patterning to it at all. I'm a big believer that things like chipping should kind of fall into a sort of a pattern that tells a bit of a story. Like, you know, around the opening of a hatch, for example. And there just really was not any of that sort of a pattern. And the shapes of of these colored splotches that were supposed to be rust, I guess, were not such that you would look at it and immediately go, oh, that's a chip. Um, and that's rust underneath. Now, granted, that is subjective. There are no guidelines in the IPMS judging rule book or the what judges look for documentation that that sort of tells you how to tell the difference between a good chip and a bad chip, right, Chris? Yeah, there's not a whole lot. I mean, you, you have a general sense of it needs to be uh, effective in communicating what it's trying to communicate. Judge, so you, you, know, you whether it's good or bad. Right. You're kind of left to make that decision based on your own experience. It is admittedly subjective, but those flaws that you saw, those those are very clearly there. I saw those as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and when it comes to the weathering, and we didn't make that a big issue in terms of this, uh, but, you know, when you talk about the chipping, there's no small chips on this thing. And we're talking about a one-sixth scale model, and all of the chips are are huge. Um, and so it just, to me, it, it did not read as realistic. Uh, I mean, in any sense of, of paint chipping you would see in the real world. Um, to say nothing of the mud being, you know, similarly felt pretty haphazard to me. But we love weathering on this show, but we're getting a bit into the weeds with this. The I mean, the first thing to point out is it had quite serious construction issues with gaps and inconsistent gaps and stuff like that. But I just want to go back a little bit. Um, when you chose your initial three that you think were the were the top three in the category, did you consider scope of work while choosing your three? Um, we did. We did to some degree. Uh, we we made sure that we read the description portion of all of the entries that had um, this one and maybe one of the others. I, I just can't remember, and I don't have pictures of the whole table to see if there was or not. 
but uh, there was some extra documentation that came with this particular entry. We would read whatever document, whatever information they gave us. If they put aftermarket parts on or you know, re-sculpted, modified joints, those kind of things. So we did take that into consideration. But you know, the IPMS style of judging is you you pretty well start with flaws and you start to look at those things once you get down to your final kind of conversations. And so when it came to the actual placements of these, um, yeah, some of that kind of stuff made a difference. This particular kit, um, the the big thing that it had going for it, uh, sorry, pun intended for it being big, uh, that was that it had a lot of work that was done. I, I don't know anything about the original kit, but there was an insane amount of, of extra construction effort that went into um, to improving and making this, this kit what it was. Um, I could be the, wrong. I believe those kits are vinyl. They are, nice. they are. Yeah. And we'll let, we'll let our, our listeners judge whether or not they think the scope of work was exactly insane for themselves because they'll be but able the to purpose, look sorry if my question was at the start before you started you were told to consider that in your judging yes and you did consider that in your judging oh yes uh, but you also considered other things were you told before you started that it was the primary thing to consider or is it just something you no, had to look at it was just a you know a thing to look at to look at scope of efforts by the time you reached your top three you judge the category in the way in which you've previously been asked to judge the category you've done your job basically yes yeah the ipms rubric is basically construction first you hear that repeated over and over and over again so you guys went through you you judged based on construction flaws and found your top three there and then it sounds like when you looked at at beyond that that then you got into paint finish and weathering, and that you might have considered scope of work after all of that, correct? Not not exactly. So when we went through these, each entry that we looked at, we took a holistic look. Um, we looked for and identified construction flaws, but we also paid attention to the finish and to the scope of work that went into each one of these kits. And so we were trying to approach it holistically, but but definitely, I mean, it's still an IPMS contest. You're still, when you can point to objective construction flaws that, that anybody's eyes can see, then that, that justifies a decision. And so we, we probably leaned on that more, but we did look at everything. What I was going to say a second ago regarding the scope of work is that each of the top three entries that you had initially selected had that space on their entry sheet filled in where they wrote, you know, these are the things that I did. And I've looked at those photos and we'll present those photos as well. It's, you know, it's the pretty standard list of stuff. Um, one of them I noticed had a pretty extensive list of things. Another one had like two things listed and then the other one had none. But then the kit that's, were, that's in question here that had the alleged insane level of detail, of work added to it, he had a whole separate build book and a, a, like a, a sort of a laminated sheet there in large type outlining what his so-called insane level of, of construction was, correct? Yeah, I mean, insane it was well, is my word. Okay, and I know, yeah. and, I'm point, and I'm pointing that out because when I read through it and then I look at the model, my personal view is, really? 
I, I keep hearing about this insane level of construction effort, but I'm not really seeing it. Like he did all of these things, but then there's, for example, there's a place on these kits where you have what could be an electrical cable or a pipe of some kind that goes from the backpack down the side and into a little port, like in the armpit. And in the molding, it's molded as half of a, you know, half of a tube, because that's how you have to injection mold it. I would consider an extensive level of work. You carve that off, you replace it with an actual tube. He didn't do that sort of thing. So my point is that is subjective, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is what you what what value you ascribe to to the work that he did. But yeah, he provided a, a big photo album it and he provided well advertised. Right. It was well advertised is is the important point here. Something else uh I don't know if we've gone past in the narrative. Before you reached your top three, you you know, your decision amongst the four of you, did anyone approach the judges during the judging? Yeah, so we we skipped over that earlier. Um, While we were in the process of judging all of these entries in the category, um, we were approached on multiple occasions uh, by Jay Andre and I think others, because I think there was more than one person um, who came and spoke to us, kind of either cautioning us or reprimanding us um, or instructing us about how we were looking at the entries, physically moving them around the table, uh, you know, sliding them on their entry forms to the front of the table so we could look, uh, or, you know, um, how we were turning them around, manipulating them uh, by their bases primarily. Um, There was one occasion I out myself in the letter and say this very clearly. There was one occasion where with one of these entries, it was like one of the 135th scale machining Krieger kits, I think, was mounted on a base. And uh, I was trying to get a look at it as I was on head on the table. And I did tip it backwards a little bit um, to get a look at, at a different angle. And realized, oh, you know, that's not <laughs> what you should be doing. Um, but we spent a lot of time, I mean, we literally spent a lot of time on our knees, or I, at least a, a couple of us did, I did, um, so that we could look from a, a, a lower angle to see seams and different things and uh, joint attachments, stuff like that, um, to see different angles of the model. We couldn't see just looking at it head on while it was on the risers. And so we were, we were this happened enough times where somebody stopped to talk to us um, that more than that at least two of us started to get kind of frustrated. I mean, I, I, I don't have, I get angry pretty easily, but I don't show it very, very readily. And I was, I was about the, at the point that if somebody came back to us again and said, you know, something else, then I was just going to say, you judge it yourself. You know, I mean, we're not doing anything wrong. We were not uh, among those who broke models during judging. Nothing fell over. Nothing was damaged. There were maybe one or two occasions where we accidentally brushed a finger against the model, and that's the extent of it. Um, while we were moving these things around on the table to get a good look at them, to judge them properly, which is completely normal. Okay, so during all of this hovering and impromptu coaching, you were able to identify Jay Andre as one of the people who was participating in that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because he was called out to us as being this 
prospective new class judge, so I knew who he was. I didn't know that he had a model in the category until after okay. everything was over. Okay, so let's all right. So let's let's move. Chris, you had a you had a question, and then I want to move on to what happens next. Did anyone during that time tell you to look closer at this one sixth model during the judging? Yeah. So Brandon, one of the judges uh, on the team, told us uh, that that he had had somebody specifically ask him to make sure he looked at the extra materials that were provided. Uh-huh. Um, and so in most cases, that was just what was written on the description sheets. But this one and this particular model we're discussing that, that wound up with first place at the end of it um, was the only one that had the big build book and the big extra sheet with lots of detailed information. So was, was he, Brandon able to identify who the person was that coached him to do that? Uh, I've asked him and he doesn't remember. Okay. So at the point that Khalees Saloum was questioning your choice and asking why the fourth place, so to speak, model had not been included in the top three, at that point you were still not aware of who the owner of that fourth place model was, correct? No, I didn't know who had built any of these models until... The judging was completely over, and our team was dismissed, and I was milling around tables. Okay, so we're going to get to that. So, all right, so he's come, he's he's questioning you. Then what took place? Um, so, you know, we remained fairly firm in our choices of the top three um, that we had selected, and this one not being one of those. Uh, and so then he goes and gets. I think he went and got what I wrote in my letter, and this is the best of my recollection. He went and got Manny, the the chief class judge, to come and take a look at all of this. So we had to go through the whole rigmarole over again, each model, why. And at that point, when being pressed again on why is this one not in the top three, um, one of the guys on our judging team, I believe it was Dana, the, the guy who'd become the team leader, um, said, well, you know, as far as he was, he actually really liked it, and he thought maybe it should be in the top three. And so at that point, we were asked to vote on whether uh, that model should be in the top three. Well, no, actually, before that, I conceded. I said, you know what? If I take a step back and I look and consider scope of effort alongside the flaws, alongside the finished stuff, the construction stuff, I, I can see, I can see an argument for including this one as maybe third place because what we had assigned as third place had some pretty clear um, flaws in the finish and, and, and some construction things. It, and it was a, a very basic build. It didn't have any extra work done to it, no modifications or aftermarket done to it. So, you know, if we're going to consider scope of effort as being and look at this really holistically, I could see you arguing that into third place. Didn't think it should be any higher than third place. But at that point, we took a vote. Should it be second place or third place? And in like a three to two decision, um, the four of us judges plus Cal, it was placed second rather than third. How did it, how was the proposal made that it go from fourth to second rather than just edging its way into the top three as the third place? Um. I mean, doesn't that seem kind of logical to you that if it fell just outside the top three to start with, and now you're, you've decided that it actually should fit in there, that it's going to just 
trade places with the former third place one. So how did it jump well, from fourth to second? The way that I looked at it was I was just trying to identify is our, are our top three that we have placed, are they placed in proper order? If those if this goes into the top three, then does it where does it fit within the top three? And so my mindset was, yeah, it should be third place. It's not as good as the second place one. It's not as good as the first place one. Put it third. If it belongs in the top three, then you put it where it belongs. Um, others were arguing that on the basis of this scope of effort thing, that it should place second rather than third. Um, and my issue with that was that when you look at the second place, what we had assigned as a second place entry, which wound up receiving third place, uh, that there was not really much of anything wrong with it. Um, a couple of the, the, the hoses, the vinyl kit hoses, you know, showed a mold, line, a mold line on them that you really can't remove unless you just replace that hose entirely. It's next and to impossible. I'll just interject that. Those hoses are soft and the molding seam sun is... Vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> it is very, very slight at best and getting rid of it is practically impossible. You will throw yourself out a window before you pull that off. And I pushed hard to communicate that. I mean, I really said, y'all, unless you want to say that you are required to do aftermarket on these kits, you can't hold that against the modeler that much. Uh, I mean, I acknowledged that it was there, but I really pushed to say, look, this is not something that is a sloppy modeling fix. This is, you have to do aftermarket or you're going to have to live with it. Now, while we were in that discussion, though, about whether this thing should place second or third, um, Cal did identify on that same model that the hatch on the top has a, a little bit of a fit issue. Um, and so there's a spot where you can see pretty clearly that it, it doesn't fit quite square. You look at the left and look at the right. We missed that in our initial evaluation of this. And he saw that. But even with that, you're talking about the vinyl hose and one minor construction flaw on a part that actually is movable, opens up to show you the cockpit. And then you're comparing that to um, these other, you know, these other two. Um, I still thought by and a far, you know, far and away that it was a better model than, than this, uh, this large one sixth scale. Kit. Okay. So now you've taken the fourth place one, moved it up to second and the former second place is now bumped down to third and the former third place is now bumped out of the top three. Correct. Correct. Okay, so what happens then after that? So at that point, we filled out the judging sheet. Um, the uh, we had all put our names on it at the beginning of uh, of judging, and um, and so they filled out everything just as you normally do. And as far as we were concerned, it was submitted. We went to go hang out, wait uh, until we were assigned another category. Ended up there wasn't another category to be assigned to us, and so we were dismissed. Um, at that point, I, I went and started wandering the tables and looking at models and talking to a friend. At the point where you all signed them off, uh, were Manny and Cal in on that decision? So they agreed with your decision that it was eventually signed off and written on the sheets? Yeah, Cal was there for that decision. Manny, I'm, I assume, was was okay with that decision. I don't remember if he was there or not, but we had come to that consensus. That was the end of the conversation. Everybody was, you know, happy or disgruntled or whatever. And we, we, we made peace with it. 
No big deal. Okay, so so at and that then you were po- dismissed. Right? Okay, so at the, and at the point you were dismissed, you as far as uh, as far as you knew, business was concluded. You had no reason to suspect that anything was going to be changed, right? Yeah, we were. Yeah, I mean, we had turned in the judging sheet. It, as far as I knew, it had gone to be you know recorded and handled, and and it was all it was all done. Um, I went with uh, with one of one of the judges on the team um, disappeared. I don't know where he went after that. Um, Brandon and I were talking together, kind of waiting around to see in case we were going to be needed to judge another category. But then they ultimately came to us. I don't remember who and said, "Hey, yeah, we don't have any more to do. Y'all are good. You can go." And so, um, yeah, I mean, I assumed it was all taken care of and, and filed uh, just as the regular process is. Okay, so when did you? Okay, and and at this point, you still are not aware of who is the owner of what became the second place model, right? Uh, I think so. Yes. Okay. What? Yeah. What we assigned, Yeah. What we ended up agreeing to let be second place okay. when we filled out the sheet. Yeah. All right. So you've left, you've gone, you're hanging out, you're socializing. When and how? No, wait. Hold on. At that point, when we were filling out the judging sheet, we would have looked at all the names. Okay. Um, But I'm not sure if that sparked recognition in me that that was Jay's model. Okay. So this, all right. I would have have had to put the name on it. So, but, but at that point, you probably became aware that the second place model was owned by Jay Andry, who we have mentioned before is going to be the incoming head sci-fi judge, correct? Well, he's not anymore. Well, we're going to get to that. But we're getting but ahead he, of ourselves. Right. Let's don't steal our own thunder. We'll get to that. Uh, but at that point, you kind of knew. Okay, now, but but you, you, it, it didn't strike you at that moment. You did not uh, suspect any foul play at that time. So, so here, yeah. Well, here's the deal, right? So this is, and this is something that I don't think has gone out publicly, and I don't mind telling you because it's it's personal conversation that we had. Um, so Brandon, one of the judges who worked with me on this. Um, he he told me after we were done judging, uh, he may have mentioned it while we were judging, that he was already familiar with this big one-sixth scale kit mm-hmm. because he judged it at a local show um, some months previous. And so he, he knew what, I mean, he knew some of the stuff to go and look for. We still gave it the full once-over, you know, the full examination that you do in judging. But um, he mentioned that he'd seen it before. And so he knew that it belonged to Jay. And I guess he probably knew who Jay was because of that. Um, but, uh, and so when we finished up, you know, there was a little bit of, of conversation about that. Oh, this is, at some point it was, you know, this is the guy who was hovering around us or came and was bugging us about how we were handling models was one of the, one of the people who was involved here. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem quite right. Um, so that's another tidbit in here that I don't think has really been discussed anywhere else. That's true, and that is con- that's something that's that's been corroborated uh, uh, to me by various other sources. Some of them who I whom I did not seek out. I had a couple of messages drop into my inbox, kind of uh, telling a story of how this particular model and this particular model maker had a history at pre- two previous competitions of um, campaigning. 
for a better result. So, um, again, that's, I've heard that that's, story myself, but I don't. Right, that's that's corroborated about. by some by some other sources. So, but you've gone and you know, you, as far as you know, business is concluded. When and how did you become aware that the results had been changed yet again? Uh, so it was a few minutes after we were dismissed. Um, I had, like I said, wandered a few tables over. I was talking with a friend, uh, looking at models with him, as is not an unusual thing to, for judges to do after they're finished judging uh, on that evening. And um, then Dana Smith, the guy who'd been assigned the team leader of our four-person team, uh, comes back up to me and tells me, uh, sort of apologetically that I quote they have changed it and made it first place and I said well you know on what basis what reason could they possibly have to give that first place and he said on the basis of scope of effort and so the same reason that it should that we have to ignore the problems that are with it in the first place he's saying now they've changed it uh, they changed it again to make it first place. So, Chris, you've been informed that the uh, the results have been changed on the category that you judged. Can I interject something here real quick? Yeah. yeah. I have a statement from Mark Persichetti that addresses this, and I wanted to present it as a question. Because you were saying that Dana had come and told you that the results had been changed yet again, correct? That they had changed the results. That yeah, they Dana tells the me that they had changed the results. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Chris. So you have now been informed that the results were changed yet again, uh, and sounds like you were really pretty unclear on why. Um, were you given any reasons, and how did you feel at that point about what had taken place? Yeah. So. I- the reason why that I was given was was solely on the scope of effort aspect of this. This guy's done so much work, and that's so impressive that it outweighs uh, all of the problems and and, and the the other things that we've talked about already. Uh, and I was I was pretty upset about that. But once I once I realized that this was the kit that belonged to uh, the guy who was going to be the new uh, potentially a new chief class judge, um, it all kind of made sense as to where this pressure had come from in the first place. And, um, and you know, we've got to make this guy look good. And you know, he's probably friends, certainly is, is known to the, the chief class judge, who I figured was, was probably involved in that decision, at least in some capacity, maybe has a connection to this Cal guy, which I have since found out that they are friends. Um, and thought, okay, that that that's what explains it. That's the only thing that makes sense because, um, in my judgment, it just simply was not as good as what we had placed first in the cl- in the category. Um, nobody could point. When you say problem. not as good, we don't mean not quite as good. We, you mean there's a big difference, right? I mean that what we placed first in the category was essentially a flawless model. You could not find a flaw. The only flaw that anybody could identify with it, I could tell one tiny little decal looked like it had a crack in it. The other guys, most of the other guys who looked at it could not even see that crack. 
In fact, I started to wonder, am I crazy? Am I seeing things? Until I did take a picture after this was all over the next day and blow it up on my phone. And yeah, you can see there's a crack there. That's the only thing that was wrong with it. And it was also a, a kit that had joints re-sculpted. A lot of extra work went into it uh, aftermarket parts replaced and those kind of things. So you know, maybe not to the same extent as what is what is documented for this other kit, but a lot of extra work, especially for it being a 135th scale kit. And so to me, there was no justification for placing any other model in that category ahead of that one. Okay, so you felt some frustration at that point. Um, what did you? Uh, okay, so uh, what did you do at that point? Um, well, I, I kind of threw up my hands in despair. I mean, like, what else can I do? I've been overruled by the the higher up judges that are ahead of this process than me. I'm just a lowly IPMS judge. I, I will be recognized formally in Madison next year as being a real full fledged. IPMS judge now that I have three years of judging experience. So I'm, <laughs> okay. as far as I can Are you tell, sure you, know, you will. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, but I, I mean, I'm effectively I'm just I'm just a guy, and and these are people who are in the leadership of the judging core, and so I didn't know there was any other recourse or option or anything. Um, I had my friend that I was visiting with. Um, I was talking with him, and I was talking with a couple other guys. And, uh, and the friend that I was visiting with, he said, hey, let's come with me. We went out, had some Whataburger, talked it over, cooled our jets, and then came back, you know, later on that evening. I pretty much, there was nothing else that I did after that. I, I ultimately left in just in frustration. Okay, so while I've been, you know, on the trail of this story, I've reached out to Dave Lockhart, who's the president of IPMS, for a statement um, and he he declined and basically referred me back to the original statement that IPMS put out several weeks ago that we're all familiar with and said that a new statement would be forthcoming, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, I also reached out to uh, Mark Persichetti, uh, who was the uh, who is the head of the NCC. He's the outgoing head of the NCC. And he didn't respond to me at all until a couple of days ago. And he sent me an email um, and he allowed uh, as how uh, he, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here and I'm going to read just a little bit. Um, he was extremely disappointed that McLean failed to contact him in the contest room Friday night. Um, he states that he was easy to find in the contest room, was one of the last people to have left the room and uh, that his failure to contact him, your failure, Chris, uh, that your failure to contact him about your problem until well after the judging results were compiled and presented denied him the chance to try and do anything um, to address it uh, in a timely fashion. And he, uh, you know, asks, why did you decide to wait? And I think you've just kind of answered that, but how would you respond to that statement by uh, by Mr. Persichetti. Yeah, so I, I've heard from others in the online chatter about this that that would have been the appropriate thing to do is to go and find him and have a conversation with him, let him know what I'm seeing and, and raise it as, a, as an issue there. Frankly, I didn't know that was an option that was available to me. And if I had gone looking for him, 
I would not have known where to look in that room to find him. He was not wearing a big red top hat to identify him as the grand, you know, judge of the competition or anything. There was no way for me. I mean, I've seen the guy a couple times. As you noted, I mean, I, I've attended a couple meetings where he's been present and I've been to a judge's meeting where he's presided as chief judge for years now, but I don't know him personally. I've never had a conversation with him directly. Um, and so, you know, I, I so on the one hand, I didn't know who he was. And on the other hand, I didn't know that that was an option that was available to me. If, if hindsight is twenty twenty, if I had to do all over, of course I would have done that. But I didn't even know that was an option. Okay, fair enough. So you didn't do anything then, but you then uh, went home, thought about it, I guess. How long was it until you decided to sit down and write all of this out? And uh, why did you decide to do it? And when did you send it to the e-board? That night after this happened, I was already thinking about how do I document this? How do I communicate this experience? Um, not knowing that I really had any other significant options, I was thinking probably the e-board is who I need to go to. I know that there are some thoughtful, reasonable people there who I thought, you know, if anybody can get to the bottom of this, then they can, or they will know who to refer this to if there's somebody else that needs to handle it. Um, I So I was thinking about writing this even that night, trying to remember all the details of the story, reciting those, self, those things to myself over and over again. Um, I, um, I had a conversation with a member of the e-board who I had met and, and asked, you know, trying to be vague because again, these results are not official on Saturday all day long. I'm kind of keeping, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about this real broadly because, um, you're not supposed to discuss contest results until after the awards have been presented. But I asked, you know, has there ever been a case like this? And I was referred to the NCC meeting that you mentioned earlier. Sat through the whole NCC meeting. There was never an opportunity to talk about it. I wasn't even sure how I would be able to talk about it without revealing, you know, judging information that wasn't public yet. Um, but I began to gather uh, information. So I, on Saturday, I took the pictures that I posted in my blog uh, and that I included in the letter that I sent. Uh, I... At the, after the award ceremony was all over, I saw, hey, the, the book the, the book with all of the judging sheets is out sitting out in the open. I asked permission. I said, yeah, anybody can look at that. So I went and found the category one in question, took a picture of the judging sheet, which is you know what I had posted elsewhere. That was the picture I took on, on Saturday, late Saturday evening. Um, but I, I was thinking about this from, from that night, immediately after this happened, that, hey, this is not right. Somebody needs to do something. I'm not sure what needs to happen or how it should go about happening, but I bet that the, the executive board can figure that out. And so as I came home uh, a couple days after I got back, I came down with COVID, was locked in a room for a week by myself, and I took one of those days to put this all together and put it out there to, to the e-board and copied the NCC uh, email address, which I guess is that chief judge, so that he would have that information as well. So uh, how much time elapsed between the contest and the time you sent that that to the e-board? The contest took place on the evening of Friday, August 4th. I sent the email on the evening of August 9th. So you, you, you did not, there was not any sort of substantial delay. Uh, it wasn't like you were just twiddling your thumbs and just, you know, weeks later decided that uh, you should maybe drop this bomb. 
no, not at all. I mean, we're talking, I sent this on the Wednesday after the Friday when the contest happened, came home on Sunday, you know, got sick on Tuesday, and then my first full day at home sick, I spent writing this. Got it. Now, what did you use to take the pictures uh, that you included in your report? I have a Samsung smartphone. Okay. Um, which I can confirm because I've looked at the metadata for those photos uh, because you sent them to me when I asked. And you've been accused by Khalist Saloum, who has gone on a campaign of what I can only call character assassination since this all came out. Um, and one of the things that he's suggested is that you could have photoshopped these images to further support your narrative. How would you respond to that charge? Well, that's new information to me. You had mentioned somebody talking about photoshopping or something. Um, I had seen, I've seen several things that Khalees has said about me publicly that were not very kind, but I didn't know he'd made that accusation. There is no, there's nothing to that accusation. I, I took the pictures. There's some, some cropping and that kind of thing, of course, but I've not done anything to manipulate the, the photos themselves. And I, and I will just add that again, because you know, I, that's why I asked you for the original photos. And I know that you sent me the original photos because again, I can see the, the metadata when I look at those. And as a guy with some extensive photography and Photoshop background, I can look at those images and I can say unequivocally that nobody has altered those images. So, um, I, I think we can take your, your word on that. Um, and, and since we're, you know, kind of talking now, we're kind of moving into the aftermath. Um, once the once you had fired this missile in the direction of the uh, NCC and the e-board, what was the response and how long did that take? So within a pretty short period of time, within the next day or so, I'd had um, multiple members of the executive board sent me a message acknowledging that they'd received this and they were going to take it very seriously. Um, clearly, it struck them as being fairly inflammatory. Uh, they, I think, had some sort of an emergency meeting to discuss it. Uh, I then received a phone call from John Figueroa, the director of local chapters, who was tasked with investigating this. Um, over the weekend, after the Wednesday I'd sent this in, he was spending at least a couple of days uh, calling around, talking to different people, getting statements, clarifying a few of the things that I said, um, and uh, an investigation ensued. And then um, from that point forward, I did not hear anything official word from any terms of official word from the NCC um, for weeks um, outside of you know, personal conversations I've had with some friends. Um, but even then, no, no official information um, along that line. Ultimately, got a phone call from, from President Dave Lockhart. Uh, to talk about this a little bit, shared my concerns. My understanding was that on the day that he spoke with me, the board was going to meet that evening and discuss this and kind of decide what to do. And so he was going to have a conversation with me before he went in there. And I expressed some of my concerns, including that, hey, why is this taking so long? Um, and then again, didn't hear anything at all um, in terms of official communication for weeks until... Um, until one of my friends sends me a Facebook message one evening at like nine o'clock at night saying, hey, there's a there's a statement out. And 
seeing that statement and the inadequacy of that statement, which I think everybody's probably read by now, um, that caused me to say, all right, well, I, and I had told the e-board, uh, multiple members of the e-board, I said, I, I will make this all public when it's all said and done. But I wanted to give the e-board a chance to try and address it so that I wouldn't do harm to IPMS USA. I mean, I actually care about the organization and wouldn't want to hurt it or anything else. I don't want to give the NCC a black eye or anything like that. I wanted to give them a chance to address this, get to the bottom of it, is what I perceived to be the case actually the case? And then I was going to share what I had experienced in light of that, hopefully in a way that would be beneficial and garner trust um, for that organization. Unfortunately, what happened was they put out a statement that basically said, well, nothing, nothing to see here. And that's so kind that's of, yeah, I'm, that's kind of every, that seems to be the sort of the uh, consensus from the public at large, for the most part, anyway, that it sounds a lot like we've investigated, uh, we, we've investigated ourselves and not found ourselves to be at any fault. And furthermore, this is the result of some folks with sour grapes. Um, in spite of the fact that you yourself were not a participant or an entrant in the category in question, um, and uh, that it was just really entirely dismissive. Uh, you mentioned John Figueroa, so I have to state uh, that I also reached out to him because he's the director of local chapters for the uh, IPMS e-board, and he was the in-person chosen by them, for whatever reason I don't know, as the investigator, so to speak. Um, and he also declined to say anything on the record. Um, but I'll add to that actually, Will, that, that though, when I talked to, um, to Dave Lockhart again, before this most recent statement came out, I talked to him the other day and he told me that he had intended for John to contact me and give me at least some kind of information about what they found in that investigation. And apologized that that had not happened. And I still haven't heard from, from Figueroa uh, on that. So I don't know if I'm, if I should expect, I'm assuming at this point that I'm not going to hear anything about what the official investigation from the e-board side said, but so, uh, but as far, as far as you know, I mean, you're the, the only way that you know that the investigation touched you personally was that you had a conversation with John Figueroa, correct? Yeah, he called me and, and asked a few questions and told me he was going to spend the next couple of days trying to get to the bottom of this. And that okay, was so what so I, he so uh, was there anything in that conversation with him that came out that had previously not come out or that uh, you made him aware of? Was there? I mean, or was that just basically a rehash of what you'd already documented? He was just asking some clarifying questions based on what the letter said, trying to fill in a couple of gaps or things that they weren't sure if they understood correctly from the letter. So it wasn't, I mean, we had, we talked for a while, but most of that was just him asking, you know, can you tell me was, was this, this person, you know, uh, I wasn't sure at the time that I wrote the letter, if, if, if Cal Kalisalu was the person um, that was that original team leader. And I, I had identified, you know, later on that, yeah, he was that guy, but I wasn't sure. So they were asking a couple questions about like that kind of thing. But okay, and so you were also never contacted by anybody on the NCC side of the investigation. I have yet to have a single conversation with anybody who's been on the NCC past or present. Okay. All right, so I think we're kind of drawn down to the end of this as far as just basically a recap of what happened. Um, 
but my, I guess, Chris uh, Mettings, do you have do you have any questions at this point? No, I think uh, as well as you wrote the um, the piece you wrote, there were still some a, a few sort of things in there that weren't quite hundred uh, percent clear. And we've we've done that today, which was the main reason I wanted to sit down with you and go through it, give you a chance to clarify all of those things for for anyone that reads your blog and you know. It's impossible to write everything 100% clearly, no matter how hard you try. And you did a really good job, but I think we've just covered off the extra things here about, you know, what you knew when, the questions people might have. So I know where we're up to now on what happened at the contest and immediately after. Yeah, your your report was very clearly written. In fact, I remember thinking when I was reading it, damn, this guy should have been an engineer. <laughs> or a cop. Yeah. <laughs> so... All right, so at this point, um, there was a lot of public outcry after the uh, first message that was released by the by by Dave Lockhart, and um, there was a lot of uh, well, let's just put it this way: there was a lot of shit talking on both sides. A lot of it came from Kalist Saloom. He essentially, uh, and we've you know we've seen this in various messages that he has sent both privately and publicly. He was all over the Facebook thread uh, where you posted your article, um, and engaging, as I said, in a very uh, strenuous uh, attempt at undermining your character and your motives before he was. Uh, put on a 28-day suspension from the IPMS Facebook forum by one of the administrators. Um, his attitude seems to be that you have some sort of ulterior motive and that you're part of this secret cabal that just wants to see the IPMS burn. How, how would you respond to, uh, again, to his um, attitude about that? Uh, that's not true. If... I were trying to do harm to IPMS, I would have done it completely differently than I did. Um, I only posted this after the, the executive board had multiple meetings and over a month to determine how they would respond. Um, I did post this in a, in a moment of real frustration at the inadequacy of that response. Um, I felt you know maybe a little bit personally insulted uh, by that and I I have communicated that that I thought that was a, a, a really bad statement and unhelpful and just made it worse I communicated that directly to, to Dave Lockhart and, and talked about that with him um, on the phone as well uh, I've told them the executive board over and over through this that, that they really need to work on their communication strategy um, but I, I I was always motivated by a concern for genuine integrity in this contest. If you had told me before all this happened that uh, it was possible that that something uh, this blatant in terms of favoritism, if that is what it appears to be, because I'll tell you right now, the executive board, their take on this has been you can't prove intent because that's reading somebody's mind and you can't read what's in their mind and in the absence of somebody confessing that yeah they really were showing favoritism they just weren't willing to ascribe that to them but they've acknowledged over and again that it looks really bad it certainly looks like that and so um for me looking at this it was just saying hey this looks really bad 
I think that this is probably what it looks like and it should be looked into and there should be something done about it. I've never had any particular notion of what that should be, what the consequences should be for anybody who was involved in this, what should happen in terms of the contest. Um, certainly didn't want to hurt the organization, tried to work with them and, and in the midst of frustration, the slowness of the process of doing that um, still was patient and waited until they chose to go public. And that's when I shared shared this information. So um, and so certainly, let me say this also, this is really critical. None of this is personal. I didn't know Jay Andre, Kaliste, Manny, any of these guys, did not know any of them from Adam before uh, I was at the Nats judging that night and still hold nothing personal, despite some of the things that Kaliste in particular has said, despite now some of the things that Persichetti has said, um, I, I don't have any personal ill will toward anybody in this. Um, it never has been and never will be personal for me. If any of them want to talk to me, I'm happy to talk to them. I'm not a hard guy to find. So let me just put that out there. I, I'm more than happy to reconcile with anybody who wants to reconcile with me, um, but I'm not who they think that I am based on the things they've said publicly. Well, I, just from my personal perspective, having read through your report and our various communications and, and, you know, honestly, just kind of seeing how you operate out there on the old Facebooks, um, I think that you have been a gentleman about the whole thing. I think you've been about as gracious as, as you could be, especially given some of the things that have been leveled at you by um, by some of the uh, co-conspirators. And I am going to just use that term because... Um, I, I don't know that uh, you've noticed this, um, but uh, there is definitely, I mean, it is hard to prove intent. There's no doubt. Nobody's wrong about that. But the appearance of impropriety is a real serious problem. And especially when the NCC's uh, webpage contains the word integrity in bold in several places. I mean, look, Contests may not be a big deal to everybody, but I think that for the people who do want to participate, they'd like to know that it is above board, that there isn't going to be some sort of shenanigans. And here is a fact. If you go to Jay Andrews' Facebook page, Kalise Saloom is all over it. That is a fact. So make of that what you will. Now, at this point, those two guys and... Manny Gooch, Gooch, however you pronounce it, have all been issued a one-year suspension from any involvement in national-level IPMS judging. That That is in a statement uh, that is being released by the e-board today. Um, and there's some other language in there about how they're going to dedicate themselves to uh, making sure that this type of thing can never happen again to uh, try and formulate the rule book so that uh, you know judges are not put in these types of positions. And that all sounds well and good. But uh, as our final sort of closing question to you, Chris, how do you feel now that there has been a definitive action taken? Um, you know, do you think it was enough? Um, what would you have liked to see differently? And what would you like to see sort of in general for IPMS going forward? Um, as I said, I'm not looking for a pound of flesh in this. Uh, I don't need payback from anybody. 
I didn't know what the consequences should necessarily be. That's part of the reason that I sent it to the e-board is I would trust their judgment on that. This most recent statement, them taking some kind of action, um, I'm perfectly satisfied with in a way that I wasn't satisfied with the earlier statement. And I genuinely hope that for the membership at large and the public at large, that they see this as being meaningful action taken uh, to address a, a real problem. Um, I hope that IPMS learns from this. What I have, have been told in the process of this is that we're talking about kind of unprecedented territory. Um, there's not been anybody, to my knowledge, what I've been from what I've been told, has, who has submitted a report like what I submitted. There's not been an example of favoritism like this that's been identified in that way before. There's not a, a you know a handbook anywhere that says if somebody does this, then this is what happens as a result when it comes to this particular situation. And so they're trying to do the best they can to make it up as they go along. Um, so I hope that that's sufficient. And as far as the, the, the organization, IPMS USA goes, I hope that they can move forward and improve this and that it's a learning experience. I also hope that they'll take really seriously the suggestions they've received to improve judging training qualifications and improve the contest. I hope that the new NCC members um, that come in are willing to to do the work to try and make the contest better and that there will be structures put in place so that there's greater accountability so that they're not functioning kind of out there on their own unaccountable and subject to both um, these kinds of criticisms as well as uh, not being accountable to the membership okay good stuff chris Thank you for your patience with all of our questions. Um, I think you've done a great job, and I think it's pretty clear that uh, at a minimum your your heart was in the right place. And uh, you know, once again, we appreciate you being willing to you know come forward and you know just address this all uh, in a straightforward way. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation. Okay, so there you have it. Um, yeah, that was supposed to be like 15 minutes. <laughs> and yeah. 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 Clearly, Your 15 minutes yeah, is like four Yeah, hours. I go into like some kind of a space-time warp, apparently. I just always completely uh, underestimate how long something like that's going to take. But hey, look, I think it was time well spent because we got, you know, a very good uh, first-hand accounting from Mr. McLean, and uh, look, I think you can see that, um, you know, as witnesses go, he at least certainly seems very straightforward, very genuine, uh, and very, and in my opinion, very credible. He was very factual. Yes. That's the important yeah, thing. He was. Uh, a lot of, um, frankly, slander is being thrown out around about him and his motivations and everything else. But when you listen to it, what he's telling you is what happened, not what he thinks should happen, not what he thinks, you know, who did what wrong or whatever, just what he observed. And that's important, I think. Oh, definitely. And um, we're going to get to a little bit of said slander. In fact, since you mention it, and we mentioned it in the uh, interview itself, you know, Chris, I, like I said, he's he's really been a gentleman. 
And that's in spite of things like the following being said about him. And these are quotes that come directly from some messages that uh, Khalees Saloum has sent around uh, that were uh, passed on to me. I'm not going to say what the source was. But in one case, he says, Chris McClain is completely wrong about everything. I am a 25-plus year senior IPMS judge. If there is a flaw in judging, it starts with the accuser. I don't believe I have to defend myself or any of the other judges, contestants, the NCC, or even our IPMS. Um, you know, so he clearly does not see any fault. Uh, but then it's also clear from things he says later that he really just sees this as some sort of a conspiracy. He says, um, again, about Chris McLean. McLean knew that because we went over these policies and procedures at the judge's meeting. Okay, he says later, the head contest judge could have overruled any decision or even ordered that the entire category be rejudged by an entirely new set of judges. McLean knew that because we went over these policies and procedures at the judge's meeting. On a personal note, he never even confronted me, the alleged villain, about this at any time during the rest of the night or even the rest of the contest. No, in all caps, he has some personal agenda or ulterior motive. Impugn IPMS, 123 contest, justify his ego, what, I don't know. Maybe he genuinely believes he is correcting some wrong. I guess I am just collateral damage to him, but he didn't have to libel and slander me to accomplish his goals. So again, it's very clear that he doesn't see anything wrong with anything that he did there's no no contrition whatsoever. And that's been reflected even in public statements that he's made. Um, here's, a, here's a bit of a quote um, from, uh, some, from uh, the IPMS forum where somebody confronted him about the fact that he is the one who made the change to the judging sheet after everybody had left. And we have a photograph of that change where... The model in question was moved from second place to first place, and Kalis. Um, we'll be posting that in the uh, the Facebook album for this um, special. So right, you can go along and see all of this stuff, all the photos, everything. Yeah, we're going to talk exactly. About. So uh, he says, Stuart, I'm ashamed of you and the others for buying into this one-sided, self-serving body of lies. You quote scripture on your personal Facebook page, yet fail to heed it. Likewise, the perpetrator of this witch hunt claims to be a Christian pastor, yet he bears false witness, brazenly and very unchristianly slandering and libeling me and others for his own ego. So, yeah, it's it's just, uh, you know, a lot of ugliness. And again, I just have to say that Chris, Chris McLean has been a gentleman throughout all of it. And what's interesting to me is that this kind of comes down to a confrontation between the whistleblower, who is, as you've heard, a pastor in his local church, a guy who is really dedicated to the health and well-being of the IPMS, versus a guy who is a corporate lawyer, uh, his father and grandfather were upstanding citizens in uh, his hometown. There's even a street named after his great-grandfather. So you've got two guys who on the surface both appear to be 
you know, salt of the earth. And yet, when you get into the actual words, I think that they speak for themselves as far as the character of the people involved. And you can make of that what you will. I'm just letting you know exactly what's taken place. The thing that's missing in all of this is I can't identify any kind of motive that Chris would have to make this up or to... I mean, he doesn't stand to gain anything out of it whatsoever. He's never mentioned being particularly interested in a different judging system or anything. All The only thing he's come up with is that he thought it was wrong and that he stood up and said something, which, frankly, is the definition of having a conscience. Well, and I think that 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 it's, it's just very clear that... Uh, oh, that this is part of the overall struggle between a sort of old guard who thinks that everything is just fine and always has been and a new crew uh, of enthusiasts who really want to see, they genuinely want to see IPMS be the best that it possibly can and who don't believe that everything is fine and always has been. And that's... V- could not be more clearly reflected than in the fact that at this point, four of the members of the National Competition Committee have basically stomped off in in butthurt and said that they're quitting and can't serve. Uh, you've got Jim Clark, the former or the uh, who was head aircraft judge, Dave Kahn, who was the head armor judge. Um, they've both quit. Um, and here's a bit of uh, of commentary from Jim Clark that was over on the IPMS forum that I think also kind of says a lot more than it actually says. This e-board is running rough shot, not rough shot, <laughs> over all things in their quest <laughs> to, <laughs> to change the national contest. The current constitutional rewrite was the last point. They only listen to who they want, most of whom on social media are not even members. I mean, how does he know that exactly? All in the name of making it better, never mind that we had record turnout of models, etc., etc. Most of these new members only complain as they do not read the rules or just disagree, so they all go on social media, not understanding the history behind the rules. No, they just want it their way, acting like spoiled children. But then again, it's just a direct reflection of society in general, isn't it? So, you know, clearly there's a lot of anger there um, and there's a lot of projection. But in terms of uh, temper tantrums, I think this next message letter from Mark Persichetti, who is now the former chief judge, whatever you call it, head of the National Competition Committee, again, on the IPMS forums, um, is uh, about as clear an example of that as you'll find, um, where he talks extensively about Chris McLean's uh, open quote bullshit, um, and uh, it's you know he says I'm done. I'm not going to be sending along any draft comments for contest rules or categories. I'll not be sending along any draft text for any revisions to our online competition handbook. I do not intend to send it just a list of all the things that he's now not going to do. All of his talents that he's no longer going to grace the organization with because he mad. Well, firstly, that's like toys coming out of the pram at such a velocity. That, uh, <laughs> I should be worried about impact, frankly. <laughs> Potentially there's going to be some bystanders taken out by those. Uh, secondly, 
these are volunteer organizations as they're always telling us there ain't no one that's that important to one of these organizations that quitting like this is going to bring it down yeah and third thing is they, they go on about how they're being persecuted but not one of these people has been censured or fired they've all quit exactly they complain that ipm it's a big takeover of ipms frankly they're the ones facilitating any change because they're the ones leaving empty positions if they stayed where they were they wouldn't have to change and it's really funny because mark persichetti was going to retire but now he's just announced that he's quitting uh, you know pre-retiring he's pre-retiring <laughs> just a few weeks before his term was actually supposed to end and let's be very specific that this alleged takeover by the e-board is a result of uh, changes to their bylaws and, and constitution that were approved. Uh, and, and again, I don't want to get too deep into the details, but the problem with the whole NCC thing is we've said is that it's unelected. There's no term limits. There's no known qualifications. It's this very sort of black box and the only thing that was in the Constitution and bylaws prior to this to this latest uh, 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 round of voting by the membership is committees. Committees established for specific tasks as required be created for a set period of time by the president and the executive board. <laughs> That's literally it. No description of you know what the NCC is, how it's formed, what it does, nothing. But it does clearly say that it serves, any committee serves at the pleasure of the e-board. And you can very much see from these temper tantrums that these guys have thrown on social media that they don't see it that way. They view themselves as untouchable. And that is just not acceptable in, in a membership, that, in an organization that claims to be about and by the membership. They seem to think that it should be some sort of opaque thing where no one needs to know what goes on because they're running it. They're, they've been asked to run it, so they're going to run it and everyone else can butt out. And that's not, you know, it's not how volunteer organisations work. They behave like it's some sort of secret private members club. The bottom line is, and, and I think that this is something that you can see as we proceeded through the interview with Chris, is that most of this stuff is undocumented at best and very poorly written at worst. There are no rules and procedures in place for much of what just happened. And that goes clear down into the actual judging rules. They will tell you that there's this judging, uh, what judges look for a document and the so-called training at the judges' meeting, and it's all just nonsense. And what the one of the things that the IPMS really needs and what several of, of the e-board members uh, have really been pushing for is not so much a wholesale change, but simply a rewrite of what exists so that it actually makes sense and that it's clear. And, and, and I, I fully agree with that. You've got to have a baseline before you can know how to improve. And it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, quite a few of these guys just, they don't even want that. They think everything is just fine. It's surprising how many gaps there are in the rules and how unwilling people are to close them. Yeah, exactly. Because we're exactly. told constantly this is a system which is pretty much bulletproof. Right. They go on and you on know, about any, how... Anyone it, can turn up and judge. Exactly. And, they know. go on and on about how objective it is. 
And you can hear in the interview we did with Chris how not objective it was in so much of the process with this one particular uh, situation. So you can sort of extrapolate that across all of the other categories and the nearly 300 judges uh, that volunteer. And the bottom line is that they are successful in spite of themselves rather than because of themselves. And um, I think that uh, everything that uh, guys like Rob Booth are trying to do in the interest of simply making it all more clear is absolutely the right thing to do. I think a big problem as well, Chris talks about how uh, intimidated he felt to bring something up. And um, Khalees is like, well, why didn't he come up to me? But if you look at the way these guys behave, you can understand why. Yeah. Because it's all, I've got 40 years experience, I've got authority and all this, you know. It's all like this whole sort of appeal to authority the whole time. And that anyone that doesn't go with what they say is is disrespecting them and disrespecting the system. So it's no wonder people don't want to say anything. Well, and the the sort of general uh, lack of, of... Of information on who to go to, I know from when I when I was at when you know when I judged in in Omaha, at no point did the head of the NCC, the chief judge of all judges, introduce himself. Like you would think that at said judges meeting, that somebody that important would be identified. Here's the guy. And I know it's kind of comical, you know, you, you, somebody said he's not wearing a red top hat. Well, he should be. There should be no doubt in anybody's mind who you can go to if there is some sort of a problem or some sort of confusion. They've got 300 judges there, right? Yeah. We've all been to big events where you have 300 stewards. What do they do? They wear colored vests. Yeah. That'd so be you money know well spent. Who's a steward? Who's who's first aid or what? Just give them different color vests. Even if it give them yeah. a red for chief judges, yellow for category judges or whatever, and then everyone can see it immediately and go over the approach. Even them. if it's as simple as that, and the fact that this a thing few dollars, lacks, there you go. Done. yeah, the fact that this contest lacks even that level of of organization speaks volumes. But I do think that they are at least sort of on the on the on the right track. I said in a Facebook post that I felt that uh, two things needed to happen. One, that the three co-conspirators named in this story needed to get a five-year suspension from any sort of judging activity at any level, um, and that the NCC needed to be dissolved and reformed as a sort of a department um, whose head was an e-board member. Um, the second thing is sort of happening uh, <laughs> because now that half of them have quit and they have no uh, named successor to be the head of the NCC, it's essentially going to you know, be reformed. Um, you know whether or not it becomes a you know like I said a functioning department who's accountable in in explicit terms to the uh, e board remains to be seen, but that's at least you know, some sort of progress by default. And as far as the um, three people named, they've all been given a one-year suspension, uh, which, you know, better than nothing. Um, I think you can see from some of the commentary by one of them that 
even a one day suspension would be viewed as a, as a, an abridgment uh, of his sovereignty. And so, you know, one year is definitely... Is that the actual word you use? <laughs> no, it's my word. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. That would be funny. Yeah, because yeah. that's just how it comes across. You know, it's like, how yeah. dare you? Um, so I think... You well, know, it's a humiliation for them, isn't it? Uh, I mean, basically, uh, it's an admission. And, 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 and look, you know, people have said in private, this guy feels really bad. You know, he's, you know, he's just uh, sick to death over this. He called me. He feels terrible. And I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. Because when I read the actual words that have been written in a number of different mediums. He doesn't see that he did anything wrong. I I think that, you know, it's crocodile tears, frankly. So what was the result of the original? There were two investigations, right? Well, I think. Now, the original investigation. Well, as far as I understand it, okay. And I have to fill in some gaps here that, that, uh, you know, with with uh, because what i have is a bunch of pieces from quite a few different sources that allow me to sort of imagine what the scene was during the investigation the so-called investigation and there and there was really only one um and i kind of liken this to city hall is uh you know gets uh, a report of some shenanigans with the police and city hall goes to investigate the cops and the, and the cops go off and investigate themselves, find that there was no wrongdoing. And then the chief of police and the mayor collude to cover the thing up. That's kind of my own personal perception of the so-called investigation, because as Chris McLean said in the interview, the only person that ever talked to him was the e-board member who was tasked with that. And as I understand it, that person never spoke with the co-conspirators. They were only spoken to, as far as I understand, by uh, Mark Persichetti. And that's not an investigation. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's, I mean, it's just silly. And so again, you just kind of have this perception of amateurism and if nothing else i hope that this entire event really helps folks see that there is a need i mean look for an organization of this size and for what it claims to want to be the members deserve better and i hope that this entire sorted episode makes that clear and that they do in fact get positive change out of this Thanks to the people that have quit, there's a real opportunity to, to make a big change if they want to. Yep, yep. And they, it, it, you know, and it remains to be seen whether or not they're going to take advantage of this tipping point and really move in the right direction. You know, time will tell. Um, I think a lot of people felt that this was not well handled by Dave Lockhart um, and... Uh, now he's going to have the chance to redeem himself and prove that he's worthy of the leadership position that he was put in. And only time will tell if that's how it's going to go. Which members of the uh, NCC have quit? It's been a few. Right? Yeah, so uh, Jim Clark, uh, a guy named Ed Groon, who uh, was the ship's judge, and he also, I think, had some health problems. I don't know the exact circumstances, but he did send a note 
that said, I can no longer serve under these conditions. So, you know, you make of that what you will. It kind of is what it is. Um, and then Dave Kahn, the head armor judge, he also sent a letter, a note that said, you know, I can't tolerate this abridgment of our authority, so to speak. Um, and then you've got Mark Persichetti, the head of the NCC. And then you had the head sci-fi judge, which was Manny Gutch, who was going to be replaced by Jay Andry. And Jay Andry, in addition to, well, I mean, he can't very well become the the new head sci-fi judge if he's not allowed to be involved in judging. Yeah. So they have five open positions as of this moment on October the 5th. And um, so how those positions get filled and what the resulting operational structure of that committee is going forward is going to have a major impact on the perception of IPMS and their contests going forward. Okay, good place to wrap up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I feel like we've talked this damn thing to death. I Look, you know, I mean, I've been kind of on this mission, and you and Tracy have tolerated it for the last couple of years because I, I wanted to dig into it and participate and really learn it from the inside. And uh, you guys know that even I am sick and tired of it. We we wanted to stop talking about this, what, two months ago? And then this shit happened. Yeah, every time we, we try and stop talking about it, they come up with a drama to make us talk about it. <laughs> yes, I and I it, feel... I do too. I hope they get their shit together so we don't have to talk about it because I feel like we've... Honestly, it's an important topic, even though it punches way above its weight in terms of the number of people who are actually involved. But I feel like that we have done, I hope, at least some sort of larger good in making it a topic. But I'm really super tired of it. I'm ready to get back to talking about paint and glue. There's a lot of really good people in IPMS USA, really good people. So I hope that this is an opportunity for them to really like make it a hundred times better, run smoother, run better, and, and be a stronger and uh, more successful organization in the future. Absolutely. So we've got a full episode next Friday, uh, and Tracy and myself sat down with uh, fantastic modeler Alexandre Duchamp, and Will, Tracy, and I had a really good chat as well, and got up to our usual uh, bullshittery. So tune in for that next Friday. Right on. That's it. Enough. Adios. Bye. To Rothschild.